Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. A pinnacle of engineering, Kia EV6 GT, the most powerful Kia ever crafted. Right across South Australia. This is Sports Day. Welcome to the sum. I don't know, a bit of a few uh, bugs in the system here, man. Oh, uh, welcome to the summer edition of Sports Day SA on Cruise 1323 and 1629 SENSA. You can hear Sports Day every weeknight from 6 p.m. with me, Paul Bonzer. And alongside me tonight again is the man himself, Dan Menzel, former Geelong, former Sydney, now with the Eags here in the Sample. Men's. And it was your day? It was good, Bonds. It's good to be back here again tonight. Uh, plenty to talk about. I caught a bit of the tennis and I don't want to jump ahead, but uh, we're going to have a special guest to talk to about a massive day at the Australian Open. Well, it's probably the biggest story. Nadal has been knocked out of the Open. In the end, he was probably carrying a bit of an injury. But we will speak to the man that knows everything about tennis in this country. It's Brett Phillips. Uh, live from the Australian Open. We'll speak to him later in the show. Can't wait to ask him about Nadal, Joker's health, Kyrgios pulling out. Who actually wins it now? It's it's really wide open for mine. Yep. Uh, coming up soon, we're going to talk about the most skillful players in the AFL from each club. And it's a good opportunity for um, you you yourself to text in 0427 154 166 or give us a call 1300 736 736. And who are the most skillful player? At each of the AFL clubs. Yeah, I'd be very interested to hear a lot of people's opinions on this and who they think at their club is extremely skillful, but also efficient with the ball. They've got to use the ball. They're a guy that gets the ball, they don't turn it over. So I'll be interested to see uh, who people think, and we're going to go through a player from each club. We'll get to that very shortly. Daisy Pierce retires as well from uh, from Melbourne, and uh, strikers will have to talk about that as well. But uh, again, not a good night for the strikers. All right, time for the hot topic. Thanks to Repco Authorised service centre. You can rely on your local Repco authorised service centre for expert car service. Book online at repcoservice.com. All right. The most skillful player, and don't forget, on that text line, 0427 154 166. Let us know who you think the most skillful player is at your club. And we'll start – we'll do this in alphabetical order, men's. I think that's yep. the easiest way. We'll start with Adelaide. Who do you think? We'll start with Adelaide, and I'm going to go to a former teammate of mine. I'm going to go Jordan Dawson. I think he uses the ball as well as anyone in their team. They need more of him, more players with silky skills. He doesn't turn it over much. Uh, I'm going to go with Jordan Dawson at the Crows. I've got a couple for you, maybe Tex. He's very skillful player. And very efficient. I did yes. mention efficiency is important in this. He doesn't miss that often. He's a great kick at goal. He easily could have taken this one as well. I I'm, think Isaac Rankin might be in that list. Yeah, but he hasn't played a game for the Crows, so bad he, luck. He hasn't, but uh, <laughs> skillful certainly, and he'll be one that if we do this again next year, he might be the one that takes the mantle. Brisbane? Uh, this one's pretty easy for mine. Hugh McCluggage, he never wastes a possession. He, he plays on the wing. He averages 25, 26 a game. 
But he's 25 or 26 a game, are extremely damaging. Uh, the only blight on him is sometimes his, goal, sometimes his goal kicking. But in terms of setting the team up and goal assists, he is one of the more elite players in the competition. I agree 100%. I like Lincoln McCartney too. Love Lincoln McCarthy. I played with him at Geelong. Uh, uses the ball. Same or similar mould to McCluggage. Doesn't have to have a lot of the ball to hurt the opposition and uh, a really important player for the Lions. Carlton. Yeah, it's a pretty easy one for mine. Sam Walsh just uh, knows his abilities, knows what kicks to go for. He doesn't chew off more than what he should and uh, his skills are very good. Can run really well and he's going to be massive for them over the next 10 years. Can't disagree with that. I don't think there's anyone better at Carlton than him. Uh, Collingwood. Well, speaking of 10 years, the guy that's done it for more than 10 years now is Scott Pendlebury. Uh, as silky as they come, he is as skillful and efficient as they come. And the thing I love about Scott Pendlebury, every, all the commentators always say this, how does he How does he make such good decisions uh, and it look like he's playing in slow motion? Well, that's what he does. He's, he's so quick with his decision-making that it slows the game down for himself and then he's able to make quicker decisions than everyone else. Scott Pendlebury is an easy one for mine. My favourite player at Collingwood is still side bottom. And he is an easy second at Collingwood. They are yep. two elite ball users. What about the Bombers? They've got some young, talented kids. They do have some young, talented kids. They've got a guy that's done it for consistently for probably five years now, and that is Zach Merritt. I think Zach Merritt is a standout in that team. They need a few more that can use the ball well, and uh, he, for mine, is the Bombers' best ball user. Would Redmond get a mention? Redmond is he's a good user off the halfback flank. Uh, he he knows his skill set as well. He can kick the ball well long. Uh, I think he's starting to get into that echelon and that tier, but he's not quite at Merritt's level yet. The Fremantle Dockers. Yeah, look, we're going to go back to the midfield mould here. Andrew Brayshaw, he he does use the ball really well. He he a bit the same um, as Walsh. He doesn't chew off more than what he should. He hits the right target. He hits the lead up. He hits the short. I really like Andrew Brayshaw's game and a massive year last year, and it'll be interesting to see where he goes in 2023. Player I jumped on early for Frio in my fantasy team was Will Brody. Yeah, Will Brody is one that uh, had a great year last year and skills uh, regularly was above 80 and 90% disposal efficiency last year, which is hard to do. Uh, Geelong, the Cats. There's a number of guys here, uh, but I'm going to go with Cam Guthrie. He, another one I've talked about, these mids just hitting the short. Cam Guthrie hits the short better than any player in the competition, in my opinion. For people out there who play AFL Fantasy or Supercoach, they would love having him because he hits the shorts, he doesn't turn the ball over, and his disposal efficiency is elite, and he's really taking his game to another level for Geelong. Yeah, I, look, there's so many at Geelong. Um, Mitch Duncan is one of my favourite players as well. Hits the um, short. He hits Tom Hawkins on the lead. as uh, our, our man Tice. Tyson Stengel, uh, Tom Hawkins, I mentioned him. He, he sometimes may miss goals, but he's a great shot at goal and regularly uses the ball well. Um, Gold Coast, let's turn our focus to them. Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, South Aussie here, Jack Lacocious. Uh Now, I'm not sure whether he's going to be better in the back line or on the forward line. It looks like they're going to play him in the forward line. I'd almost play him down back because I think he uses the ball so well and he is one of the best kicks in the competition in that 40 to 55-metre range. He can launch a footy and put it wherever he wants, like a quarterback almost. I, I really like the way that Jack Lacocious plays and uses the ball. Noah Anderson, I think, is amongst their best ball users as well. He is. He's elite in that midfield, and he's going to take another step this year. The go, uh, the Greater Western Sydney Giants. Yeah, an easy one for mine. A really silky ball user is Josh Kelly. Uh, 
probably had a down year or two in comparison to where he was a couple of years ago, looking like he was going to light up the competition, but uh, doesn't turn the ball over much. A nice silky left foot. All right, eight down, eight to go. You're listening to the summer edition of Sports ASA on Cruise 1323 and 1629 SENSA. Well, that's the thing about, that's what I like about. Yeah, that's the thing about, the thing about football. Oh, oh, oh. Paul Bonzer and Dan Menzel with you, and we are going through the most skillful AFL players from each AFL club. We're halfway through. We've moved on to Hawthorne. Yeah, let's not overcomplicate this one. You get the ball inside 50 to this guy, and he'll kick goals from wherever you put it. It's Luke Bruce. Bruce. Uh, Melbourne. Yeah, I found this one a bit tougher. Uh, I really like the way that Ed Langdon uses the ball on the outside yes. for them. Uh, there is a couple others potentially, though. Brayshaw? Brayshaw does use it really well, and Cozzy Pickett is another one that, uh, love especially Cozzy. in field play, doesn't turn it over too often. North Melbourne. Yeah, look, Luke Davies, Uniac, uh, he could be their next captain. He, he's clearly their best midfielder at the moment, uh, and it's because he does use the ball well, doesn't turn it over too much. The Port Adelaide Footy Club. A few players could take this one. Uh, I'd be interested in any Port fans out there who they think. Uh, I'm going to go with the All-Australian from last year, Connor Rosie. I love the way he plays, and I love the way he uses the footy. Did you say Rosie? I did. Good. <laughs> Houston, I like at Port. I think he never wastes the footy as well. Damaging and, uh, yes. Dan Houston as well. So he's a great one, actually. And uh, it's a fair chance he's uh, going to be on the show Friday. So uh, we might chat to Dan Houston. Ask him Port, that question. Port too. fans. But let, let us know how we're going so far. Do you think uh, there's one we've missed out on at your club? And I'm texting on 0427 Okay, we've done Port. Richmond, Tigers. Yeah, this guy, other than... Missing some goals occasionally. Shea Bolton, uh, when he gets the ball in the middle of the ground or the forward half of the ground, is so damaging for the Tigers. Sydney. Yeah, Sydney, I'm going to go with one of my favourite players in the competition, Errol Gordon. I love the way he uses the ball. He breaks lines uh, for a guy who's only 20. He's so smart. I can't wait to watch what he does over the next decade. Absolute jet. Uh, uh, Mills, I think Callum Mills, uh, I think. Another, is another great one. ball. They've got plenty there. Nick Blakey off the halfback flank as well is, um, is a very good ball user too. St Kilda? Yeah, I'm going to go with their best and fairest winner off the halfback flank. I just touched on uh, yep. Blakey playing there. It's Jack Sinclair. Uses the ball really well. Yep, and another one in my fantasy team. Uh, West Coast. Yeah, I found this one a little bit tougher. There's a lot of older players there that have uh, been inconsistent at times. I like what Liam Ryan does when he gets the ball. He's efficient yeah. with the footy. He kicks goals. He, he doesn't turn it over too much. He's the one for mine. Barras down back for them. He's, he's again, doesn't waste it very Doesn't much. waste it, knows his limitations as well and hits the the first option, which is what coaches love. They hate it when players try and do more than what they should and Barras does that really well. And the last team, and if you don't mention this bloke, I'll fall off my chair, uh, Western Bulldogs. Yeah, this guy, uh, I'm going to say this, Bonds. He's going to win the Brownlow medal this year. Marcus Bontempelli. The Bont. He should be in that midfield full-time, and I'll get to this when I get to the Bulldogs down the track. I think that will happen. Uh, he is as silky as they come, and so I don't think there's any questions there, is there, on Marcus Bonapelli? None whatsoever. I have no qualms with that. He was the automatic selection. Um, we got a text in from Jason from Marula Bar, uh, just welcoming, welcoming you and me to uh, Sports Day, which is nice, and to SEN. So uh, it actually says... Dean Bonzer and Dan Menzel, welcome. But I think he meant dear 
Bonzer and <laughs> No, we'll go with Dino. But Jace, if you want, text us in who you think is the most skillful player in the competition. Uh can we rank a top three out of that Bonds? Go for it. We've got time. All right, I'm gonna go with and they've all got something in common here. I'm gonna go with Marcus Bontempelli, uh Scott Pendlebury has to be, and Josh Kelly. What have they all got in common, Bonds? Uh they might use their wrong foot. <laughs> they are all left footers. And so they look so silky when they play the game. Isn't it amazing? You talk about a left footer and how they can be so damaging and they look it looks immaculate when they kick the ball well. Well, the three most skillful players we've gone are left footers. And so Marcus Bonampelli, Pendles and Josh Kelly. Adelaide, we went with Dawson and Port Adelaide, we went with Connor Rosie. So it'd be interesting to see what the fans think there of the Crows and the power. Let us know. Uh, yeah, let us know. Who is your favourite player at your club? The most skillful player at your club, not necessarily the favourite. And text in on 0427 154 166. We're keeping the chairs warm for David Wildey and Malcolm Blight, who will be here just before the start of footy season. And you can stream every NFL game live this season on NFL Game Pass. Visit nflgamepass.com. Coming up on the show, we're going to talk about the Strikers. A pinnacle of engineering, Kia EV6 GT, the most powerful Kia ever crafted. Right across South Australia, this is Sports Day. Welcome back to the summer edition of Sports Day SA with myself, Paul Bonzer, and Dan Menzel, superstar eagle forward, Ken Farmer medalist, all-round good bloke. Men's, uh, we've had a bit of action on the text after our first segment, talking about the most skillful players in uh, your club, in your AFL club, and you can text in as well, 0427 154 166, just like John from Largs Bay, who wants to put Travis Boak in the mix. Yeah, look, I don't mind that call. Travis Boak has done it for a long time, and he hits the shorts very well as well, so that will help with his efficiency. Um, still like Rosie, though. Uh, Alan from Nord, uh, he might be a Crows man. Uh, Brody Smith for his long kicking efficiency. That's actually that's a great call, Alan, because when you kick the ball over 40 metres, Bonds, I'm not sure many people know this, but it counts as an effective kick. Right. And so I don't think I've actually ever seen Brody Smith kick the ball under 40 metres. So he would be extremely effective and efficient. And Mario from Maslin's Beach has texted in saying, it still mystifies me how footballers don't guard the left foot of star players. Surely you know left footers who the left footers are. It's infuriating him at times. That's a great call, Mario. It's uh, it's one that when you're out there, it is hard in the moment. But in saying that, the guys that I've read, Jordan Dawson, Marcus Bondapelli, Scott Pendlebury, Josh Kelly, Errol Gordon and Zach Merritt, a lot of left footers in there. Everyone knows that they are left footers. So do not allow them... Make them come back inside to their right. Make them kick on their opposite. A lot of them will be too good and they'll step back inside. But you're right, it, it happens far too often. I was going to say, can put a little bit of a swing on that with basketball. Ricky Grace from the Perth Wildcats oh, the always thing. went left yep. and just wanted to go left whenever he wanted to and no one was good enough to stop him most of the time. Um, time to uh, get on with the show. Let's talk some cricket. Thanks to Toolkit Depot, your one-stop shop to get back on the tools. New year means new gear at Toolkit Depot. Dan, the Strikers played in Coffs Harbour last night and went down to the Sixers, mainly on the back of a brilliant century by Steve Smith. The first century, which this surprised me, the first time a Sydney Sixer 
has uh, brought up triple figures. He was fantastic, wasn't he? He was fantastic. Uh, Philippi held the highest score currently for him until last night on 98. But it is amazing. They've won the tournament as, uh, three times now and have been so successful yet. Didn't have a century until last night. Steve Smith, geez, he looked good last night. I mean, Coffs Harbour, the boundaries are a bit smaller, so the opportunities were there. But um, the Sixers, they, we talked about it last night. They're as good a team as anyone in the comp. Them and the Scorchers are the benchmark, and they made us look second rate last night. They did. Let's have a listen to Smudge. What do you see? How happy was he about his century? Yeah, it was good fun. Obviously, um, starting with the batting, that was it was nice out there. Uh, it was a nice wicket. Um, got a good partnership there with uh, Curtis. He played really nicely, and um, yeah, the boys played had a polished performance in the field, so it was a really good night. And the captain apologises. He reckons he robbed you of about 20, 30 runs out there. Yeah, I was, I was pretty much going to try and hit every ball for six from <laughs> then on in when I got out. So um, he was aware of that. I think he tried to send me back, so I was on strike. But um, now nah, that happens. But um, it was a good total, and uh, the boys defended it really nicely. Yeah, they made 203, Smith 101, Patterson 43. Where's Agar playing his 50th BBL game, uh, two for 48? Yeah, the Sixers, they go back to the top of the table there with that win. The Scorchers have a game tonight against the Hurricanes. So it'll be interesting to see if they can leapfrog them back up to the top. But where does that lead the strikers, Bond? So Tell us, Dan. I will. There is plenty of permutations that still are to be played out. Uh, the word permutation. It is my favourite word in the dictionary. I don't know how to spell it, but it's a great word. <laughs> um, now, look, I'll, I'll run you through them. So the Strikers are in fourth at the moment. They, they've played two more games than the Hurricanes. They're on five wins and seven losses. The Hurricanes, five wins and five losses. The Thunder, five wins and six. And then the Heat, four and six. So the way it works, we take on the Scorchers and the Renegades in our last two games. We need to win one of the last two games to pretty much guarantee ourselves a spot in the finals. The reason that is, is, look, the Brisbane Heat and the Hurricanes, they're in fifth and seventh. They play each other twice in their remaining games. So they both can't win those games. So effectively, we're going to have one of them drop and one of them jump up or they'll nullify each other on those games. The Thunder take on the Sixers, the Renegades and the Stars. So it's still in our hands. If we can knock off the Scorchers or the Renegades in the last game, then we will be playing in the finals. And you never know with the Big Bash with the finals. If you make it, you're every chance. Yeah, um... I, yeah, I, I look, it's touch and go for me. I think they need to beat they need you're right, they need to win one of these last two games, they'll make it. I think they I think you're hundred percent correct there. And nice permutations there, men. <laughs> <laughs> you're listening to Sports Day SA on Cruise thirteen twenty three and sixteen twenty nine SENSA. Hearing that beautiful music interlude, beautiful. Uh, we uh, got a text in from Mario again. Uh, Fantasia, uh, obviously this is Fantasia from um, from Port Adelaide, said that he's doing Pilates. <laughs> did Dan do Pilates? And maybe I should do Pilates as well. Um, did you ever do Pilates, Dan? I, I still do Pilates. You still do Bonds. Pilates. Um, Panacea Pilates in Norwood. Shout out to Catherine there, Bonds. I'll take, I'm actually doing it tomorrow morning. I'll take you with me. It's I'm great for you. I'm not going, mate. I'm, <laughs> not, I'm busy. I've got to do my hair. Uh, <laughs> coming up on the show, Brett Phillips from the Australian Open is going to have a chat with us. And you can make the switch to Mate Internet and Mobile, Mate 5G mobile plans from $40. Be part of the show, just like Mario and, and some of them, John and Alan. Text in on 0427 154 166. Um, Nadal knocked out. Oh, one thing. We've got to, oh, we might leave it, might leave it to, to later in the show. But um, 
Nadal knocked out of the Australian Open. Massive news. It is massive news in straight sets. Uh, body not great. Uh, Djokovic, we'll wait and see what happens there too. It's really open and can't wait to chat with BP about that. Paul Wander and Dan Menzel on the summer edition of Sports ASA. A pinnacle of engineering, Kia EV6 GT, the most powerful Kia ever crafted. Right across South Australia, this is Sports Day. Welcome back to the summer edition of Sports ASA on Cruise 1323. Paul Bonser, Dan Menzel with you. You can be part of the show. It's been a busy show. 0427 154 That's our text line. And um, we are keeping the seats warm for David Wildey and Malcolm Blight, who will be back just before the start of footy season. And coming up very soon, we're going to chat with Brenton Phillips from the Australian Open. Um, big news there today, Mintz. Massive news from the Australian Open, so I'd be interested. He's sitting in the bunker watching it from uh, from courtside level, Brett Phillips, so it'll be interesting to get his take on what has happened today. All right, we'll continue the show with uh, our sports update. Thanks to Tyre Power, think, safe, think safety in January. Get the five-minute tyre safety check at your local Tyre Power. Big news in women's footy today. Daisy Pierce has retired from Melbourne. Yes, she has, which uh, when she won the grand final, it was the first, almost the first question she got asked, and she did the right thing and said, look, it's not my moment right now. I'm going to enjoy this with the team. Most thought she probably would retire, and she has decided to do that. She's got a massive career in front of her that's been going for a number of years now in the commentary space, and so there'll be plenty of leadership things, a little bit like Joel Selwood. There'll be opportunities that come with that. and uh, well, she's Media for her especially. Media is the one. Um, she'll be getting a few cashies, no doubt, Bonds, uh, with the uh, <laughs> leadership work and the talks and whatnot. But um, she's been there from the start. She's been the still world from the start, got the competition up and running. She was the marquee player. Yes. And uh, was, without a doubt, the biggest and most high-profile player. Maybe you could say Aaron Phillips as well, but Daisy Pierce certainly was that. They're the two. They're the two that have led, I guess, the expansion of women's footy and the explosion of women's footy. Let's have a listen to Daisy. She's speaking about how the premiership made it harder for her to make this decision. I think there was a bit of an assumption that it was win it and I'm done or lose it and I might have to consider going again. But in fact, um, the satisfaction of last season and the enjoyment and the, the closeness of the bonds that we've now formed, um, it actually made it a bit more confusing and harder to step away. So it's its probably been one of the, the harder decisions that I've ever had to make. Um, but now that I'm here and I've been able to say it out loud to, to Mick and a few of my teammates, um, yeah, I feel like it's the right decision. Daisy Pierce there, and you heard her say about that. When you're an ultimate competitor... Uh, it is extremely difficult to say, well, that's enough. Uh, your body might let you down, but your mind certainly doesn't. And she talked about it there that, do I keep going? And and so she's obviously hung them up. Now, she's been in the AFLW for seven seasons. She's been the leader of the Melbourne Football Club, the captain, throughout that time. These are where they finished on the table. In season one, they finished third. Season two, third. Season three, fifth. Season four, fourth. Season five, fourth. Season six, second. And season seven, second with the premiership. So it just shows 
that they never bottomed out. They were always thereabouts under her leadership and uh, it's an incredible career that she had in the women's competition. Congratulations to Daisy Pierce. only getting bigger and better. Her career will go on in the media, I have no doubt. You are listening to the Summer Edition of Sports Day ASA on Cruise 1323. Um. Dan, um, Crows signed a player today. They did. Uh, Tyler Brown, the Crows have signed. And uh, we thought that in this period, teams are having players train on with them. And then they have, if they have a spot on the list, then they, they'll sign them up until February, basically. And so we thought that they potentially have had a look at Tyler Brown and picked him up uh, after what's happened, unfortunately, with Paul Seedsman. Uh, well, we've got, a, we've got something here. That's... We have. Here's what Harry Schonberg said this morning on SENSA. Yeah, yeah. So Tyler hasn't actually trained with us yet today. His first is his first training. So um, I haven't actually seen him train, but um, today today he's training. But yeah, he's a lovely young fella. Um, obviously, come from Collywood. Um, yeah, he's pretty tall, pretty pretty lean. So um, yeah, looking forward to see how he goes today at training. One thing, he's actually older than Harry, isn't he? <laughs> yes. <laughs> he's a, a lovely young fellow. Yeah, he's twenty three. Obviously, the the son of Gavin Brown. Is that that's is that a bit mind boggling for you that mind boggling doesn't even start and touch on it to be honest, Bonds. I, I can't believe that. I mean, congratulations to Tyler Brown. Um poor Harry Schoenberg there. Hasn't met the bloke. Probably doesn't know what position he plays. Doesn't know that he's older than him. Um so it was set up a little bit there with that question. But look, in this period right now, teams have up until February to be able to sign players to their list if they have a spot on the list. And so I know that Paul Seisman came off the list a couple of days ago. You'd think that they would have trained Tyler Brown for a few weeks potentially um, until mid through, midway through February and made that decision. They've obviously pulled the trigger on it. They're happy with him. But, um, yeah, quite surprising that he hasn't actually trained with the group and uh, before they've made that decision. It's really interesting. Uh, let's have a listen to Tyler Brown himself about the process of getting to the Crows. Yeah, so initially it was more around the rookie draft where I thought I was probably a chance to go um, to Adelaide. And then a few things changed. I got a, <clears throat> a few picks uh, late, which sort of affected that. And then well, that might have been done with Adelaide and then got the call last Sunday from my manager saying that Adelaide were keen. So um, after that, I probably had a week in Melbourne. And then I drove straight up to Adelaide with all my gear, which was nice. So there you go. Yep. So maybe maybe there's people in Melbourne yeah, that, that have what he's been training, obviously. He's been training. They clearly watched him last year and earmarked him as a possibility if they didn't get other players in the draft and it didn't go that way. And so he was their clear next available to be picked, and that's what they've done. Uh, but uh, teams at the moment are having players train on. Uh, you've got ex-Blue Liam Stocker. Uh, training and former bomber Josh Eyre are both training at St Kilda. Um, delisted cat Quinton Narkle is at Richmond, hoping to earn a spot. So, I just thought that potentially they might have uh, might have got him to train on for a little bit before making that decision. But congratulations to Tyler Brown on the getting the list spot at the Adelaide Crows. There are a few players who have been delisted that are looking for new clubs, and a few guys training. A few notable ones: um, Liam Stocker. 
and Josh Eyre, which training at St Kilda. Yeah, so those two that I just mentioned and mm. Quinton Narkel, yeah. uh, those three are probably the obvious ones. Oleg Markov as well. Um, yeah. So former Tiger and Son, he's been invited to train at Collingwood. So there's a few up in the air. There'll be some lift spots there available. It is a really challenging time for those guys and guys that have been delisted because you, you get delisted and you, you probably know uh, midway through September, some of those guys would know, and even some of them would know in July that their contract's coming up. They won't have a, a contract next year. And it will take until next February, so six months later, to know whether they're going to a different club in a different state, whether they're going to have a contract or whether their AFL career is done. So it's a, quite a challenging time for not just players, but also clubs at the moment and local-level clubs as well to know whether they get players coming to them or not in well, 23. you've been through this process. Can I ask you how it was handled by both the clubs you were delisted by? Yeah, look, it's every club's different and it is the worst part of footy. Is Of course. They need to make a decision and turn over, on average, seven or eight players a year. So... It's not an easy thing to do, and you get certain guarantees from some clubs that, yep, we're probably going to take you, and then that doesn't happen. And unfortunately, that's the reality of it because things change. We understand that. Um, but it is challenging because your mind is all, all right, I want to play AFL again next year. And so you try and get a train on spot somewhere. And if not, then you will go train somewhere else or, or play in the local competitions. But you're certainly not thinking, all right, am I going to play in the sample next year or the VFL or the Waffle? You're thinking, which AFL club will I be on their list and which opportunity will I get? So it's a pretty rude awakening if it doesn't happen. Um, I have no doubt Narco Air, Stocker, the guys we've mentioned, if they don't get put on that list spot, they, they would have had to have thought about it, but it will come as a shock and they'll go, well, what do I do now? My AFL career is pretty much done. What role does the manager play in that as well? Yeah, the manager is important. He becomes your, he or her becomes your mentor as such in terms of they're trying to get you onto a list, but they also are the ones that are telling you, well, you need a plan for next year. Uh, if you are not on a list, what are you going to be doing in terms of study or work-wise? Uh, where are you going to be living? And also they have to give you the guidance on where's the best opportunity to play to potentially get yourself picked up in that mid-season draft or um, get picked up again at the end of the season. We've got Raleigh Collier-Dawkins, who's come over from Victoria. And I actually asked him this question just the other day and said, was it always uh, Sandful that you're going to do? And he said, oh, I spoke with the Waffle Clubs as well. And, yeah, for me, it was come over to the Sandful, play some good footy, and you never know with the mid-season draft what might happen. And that was the directive he got from his manager as well. So that's where the managers are really important, to direct you in the right pathway of a club that's good enough to develop you to get you back into the system if it works out that way. So tough, uh, as, as I mentioned, you know, 100 guys who were looking at playing AFL footy are now no longer playing AFL footy. Yeah, and it and only a handful will go on. And it creeps up on you, and it comes as a shock, and it's uh, it is you've got to work out what to do, but it's a challenge. You're listening to Sports ASA on Cruise 1323. We're going to talk some tennis now, and the man that knows all about it is uh, Brett Phillips. Our next guest is brought to us by the Kia EV6 GT, a pinnacle of engineering, the most powerful Kia ever crafted. Our man at the Australian Open is the guru of tennis in Australia. His name is Brett Phillips. Brett, uh, a big day and a, a big moment this afternoon with Nadal being knocked out. Yeah, big, uh, big story, Paul. Uh, it's it's huge, huge news. Only happened about uh, yeah half an hour or so, an hour ago, and yeah, Rafa uh, in front of a full house. It was look a, a little sad to be honest. I mean, the Dales had 
you know, a lot of injuries across uh, the journey. We've written him off uh, many times. He's played through the pain barriers, put that body through uh, a hell of a lot. But, yeah, taking on a, a really talented young American today, Mackenzie McDonald. And, yeah, Rafa, Rafa was certainly feeling the hip and he's had the abdominal injury uh, throughout his career as well. And he uh, went off after uh, dropping that second set, uh, had an extended time off court, and brought uh, Craig Tiley out of his office to come down and inspect his wife, who... Uh, not, never really travels, but because he's become a, a dad now, the whole family's in tow uh, for this trip to Australia, and uh, she was visibly in tears. Um, Rafa, the great part about Nadal, he doesn't retire easily. He, uh, he he sort of knows his obligation to you know see out a match, unless you know he can't actually stand upright and vertical. And he managed to play at the match, but clearly uh, not going at uh, full tilt like Rafa normally would be. And yeah, Mackenzie McDonald wins through, and I suppose the question we ask now is, you know, is that the last time we maybe see Nadal in Australia? Uh, we've dared not to ask him because he hates being asked about retirement. He's just here to play, play as long as he can, but yeah, it's uh, not getting any easier with that body and turning, uh, what, 36 this year. Yeah, look, you're right, BP. It's not a great start for the Australian Open in terms of Nadal uh, nearly pulling out. We've seen Kyrgios has pulled out. The Joker not sure where his body's at, but a good story that I'd like to ask you about is Andy Murray's performance. He won in five st- sets against Mario Berrettini. Uh, it's good to yeah. see Andy Murray back at the Australian Open. Look, uh, I, I sat here uh, in, in the bunker and uh, watched that uh, match, and I think the ovation went forever. And, and Andy has uh, always got a lot of respect here in Australia. I mean, he's just been stiff, really. I mean, five-time runner-up. He's played in some unbelievable era, Federer, Djokovic and Nadal. You take those three out, he's probably, you know, maybe won 10 to 15 majors, uh, been the bridesmaid more often than he would like, uh, but highly respected as that fourth member of a group that uh, certainly dominated over 15, 20 years. And, you know, people have asked a lot, uh, why is Andy still playing? Well, he just loves to compete. It's just part of his, part of his DNA. He loves to travel. He loves the circuit, loves the lifestyle. And he still wants to get every bit out of himself. You know, Ivan Lendl back with him, the great Ivan Lendl, in this uh, last little chapter of his career. And you're watching him yesterday, and you don't lose your core craft. You might lose a bit of speed. The the body might uh, get around a little slower, but you don't lose your smarts. And he's always had that, Andy Murray, in, in crafting points. And, you know, Berrettini's sort of standard deliver, big serve, big forehand. But there weren't enough tricks there, and Andy exposed that. Uh, hit his spots on serve and just showed that, you know, a wily old fox, whilst uh, a little injury depleted and uh, body depleted, can still actually win a tennis match because of their talent. And he takes on more likely for Nasi Kokonakis. Uh, next, uh, he'll come back on court, hopefully tonight, when the heavens uh, clear and complete uh, his match against uh, Fabio Fanini. And I think, uh, yeah, Kokonakis will relish that because he's going to get a pretty weary uh, Andy in the second round. Yeah, so let's get on to Tanasi. He has been extremely impressive against Fabio Fagnini, as you mentioned. Should get the job done there. Does he go in favourite against Andy Murray, provided he gets the job done today? Well, I, I suppose you're just assessing, yeah, just that, that match that Andy played. It was one of the slowest walks back to the, the locker room. Is that going to take everything out of him? I mean, these guys uh, obviously prepare themselves so well. You get the day off at the Grand Slams in between matches, and... You know, there's been many times we've thought Andy can't go back-to-back and play, you know, a couple of tough physical matches. But, you know, he's still out there at 35 doing it. So he brings that aura about him. He brings the experience of playing a tennis match. And, you know, Fanasi is in a, in a good frame of mind. There's no doubt. I, 
I really liked his week in Adelaide last week whilst not going on to defend his title. I think there's an extra uh, level of maturity there. And I think there's an extra level of focus. And can I just say, I think, and no disrespect to Kyrgios, but maybe not having Kyrgios around here just allows Thanasi to really just focus on his singles because that's the area we want to see him get to the top 50. It's great to play a little bit of doubles with uh, um, you know, uh, Kyrgios, but we want to see him become the best uh, singles player he can. He's got to get down inside that top 50 and take scalps like Andy Murray. So at least he's fresh. He is fresh. He's hitting the ball well. And, you know, he's going to pose some issues with, uh, you know, for Andy Murray tomorrow at some stage when that match is played. Brett, I was talking to Dan last night on the show and we spoke about Alex Dimonor and I asked him the question, do you think Dimonor could get past the fourth round and be his best Australian Open ever? What are your thoughts on that? Because he had a good straight set swing first up. Well, he was brilliant last night. He was just clinical. Uh, obviously, uh, winning this the hot favourite against the world number 209 and hit some of the best uh, backhands up the line that I've seen from Alex. And he's just breathing all over you instantly. He's airborne. He's, you know, taking the ball early. He's putting pressure on you. And he just uses all his assets that he's got. He's never going to have the biggest serve. He's not as big as these guys who are, you know, up around, you know, six foot, six foot four, six five. Uh, big guys who can get free points off their serve. But Alex can wear them out. And he's got the wheels to uh, get to every ball. And I think he's, I think he's getting a bit more pop on that serve. I think the ball's ripping through the court a little bit more as he's getting a little bit stronger. So he's posing, I think, a few issues that he hadn't previously. Uh, but he is on the same, you know, side of the draw as as Djokovic there. So that could be potential fourth round, likely, uh, particularly if Novak uh, doesn't have any hamstring injuries and. Yeah, I think you know, he can certainly push Djokovic, but to me, Djokovic is still you know, well clear of the field in my eyes. Yeah, so let's touch on Djokovic. He won 6-3, 6-4, 6-love-last night. Nadal out, Kyrgios out. It's opened up a little bit. Uh, he's going for his 10th Australian Open. Uh, is he absolutely clear now uh, as the favourite in this tournament? As long as the body holds together. It's just I can't remember the, the time when he's come into a Grand Slam under a little bit of an injury cloud. He's got the strapping on the back of the hamstring. Uh, now, he played a player last night that wasn't going to necessarily push him to the full limit, and he wasn't going at uh, full rat power last night, Novak. I mean, these guys, uh, like, you know, like him, know how to pace themselves through uh, two weeks of a Grand Slam and, and peak at the right time. So the level of opponent will keep going up. But, look, he's, his level is the best. It's just uh, physically... Can the body go seven matches? We'll have to wait and see. And that's just, just a must-watch. Every time he sprints uh, for a, a drop shot, you're just thinking, is that hamstring going to uh, possibly pop him? And he's so well physically prepared that I'm sure he's doing everything to uh, minimise any damage. And, um, yeah, but he's the favourite if it, the body stays healthy. So just say it doesn't stay healthy and we see a defeat or uh, him pulling out, who is a name or a couple of players that maybe we don't know about, that we haven't heard of, um, that we need to keep an eye on? Medvedev's an obvious one, but is there a few other mm. up-and-coming uh, stars yep. in tennis at the moment that could go deep in this tournament? Yeah, well, unfortunately, we haven't got Carlos Alcaraz, the world number one, but the next best youngster inside the top ten is uh, Holger Inner, the uh, young boy from Denmark who... He's 19. He got into the top 10 back end of last year with that win in Paris at the Masters 1000. This guy eats, sleeps, breathes, and anything else to do with tennis. Uh, he is that obsessed. You watch him on Instagram. It's just um, a guy with eyes to be the world number one. There's a, there's a clear goal there. 
And he's a little bit of an agitator as well. I mean, he's been questioned a little bit by the older guys for some of his on-court behaviour, but that'll sort of iron itself out over time. Uh, you love the fact that he's uh, super competitive. He actually believes he can beat anyone. So that's often, as we know, half the battle in elite sport is having that self-belief. And, look, he could do some damage. He was uh, on that Kyrgios side for a potential third round. So him, uh, Kyrgios being out, sort of opens up the door a little bit more. And, well, the other one I do like, he had a bit of a battle today, but Felix Auger-Aliassime, the Canadian, who did rise from outside the top 10 to 6 last year, I think he's getting closer to winning a major. He's well-equipped. Uh, well he's got Tony Nadal in his corner. Uh, Rafa's uh, great-uncle who was with him on the road. So I, I do like Felix and... Uh, Holger are the two that I'm uh, certainly gunning for. What about the women's side of the draw, uh, BP? The Kimberly Burrell, the Aussie, had a, a nice win in her first round. Um, who do you like on the women's side? Well, the world number one had another win today, Iga Sviontek, and, I mean, she's 6,000 points clear in the rankings. So, you know, I think she absolutely has to deserve, deserves that favouritism, and I thought today she went up a level after being really tested in uh, round one and Look, she, I just think her level, if she's on, uh, is so hard to match. And her consistency, her depth of ball striking, uh, she takes the ball, you know, really early. She's just on you. There's a lot of pressure uh, and a minimal reaction time to, you know, get into good rallies with Eager. But, you know, we know every sports person can have just an off day where um, they don't, uh, it doesn't all come together. Uh, but she was serving around 80% today. So I think... You know, she is the front runner for me, and then it's it's really tough to actually call it after that. I think there's, there's a big group of players. I mean, Jessica Bagula did defeat uh, Eager at the United Cup a couple of weeks ago. She's had two relatively quick uh, wins in the first two rounds, and looks like she's ready to maybe go a bit deeper than a quarterfinal. So, and and Sabalenka's the other one I do like. Um, one in Adelaide, uh, she's got the serving yips all sorted, and she's an intense an athlete as I've ever seen, Arena. And I'd love to actually see her win a Grand Slam because she wears her heart on this sleeve. She's a bit of a character, but she's got a big game. BP, one more before we let you go. I'm interested, there seems to be, especially with the qualifiers and getting through to the first round, and what's the prize money for a win in the first round? What does it mean to some of these young players? Well, a win uh, will get you at $158,000. So that means, you know, you're into round two, whether you uh, lose your round two match. If you exit round one, you get 100000 And obviously it keeps going up from there. But, I mean, to get into round one, I mean, there's qualifiers that have got to play three matches uh, in the build-up. But what it says is how important it is to be at least top 100 or, uh, you know, certainly in that next bracket, of, you know, 100 to sort of 250, where you're getting into qualifying, a chance to make a main, main draw, you compete in one match, and it helps set your whole year up in terms of, you know, your expenses, travel, uh, taking a coach on the road, maybe some extra support staff. Uh, so that's, that's where you've got to be in tennis if you want to actually make a living out of the sport, somewhere in that, you know, top 100 to, you know, about 250 uh, bracket. Outside of that, it's, uh, it's pretty tough. Brett, uh, thanks for your time. Have a fantastic uh, day or night tonight and, and tomorrow and uh, try and get some sleep. Try to get to bed before 2 a.m. This, this today, will you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't need that. Uh, tell you what, Alexi Popper and last night, uh, it was, that was a bit uh, cruel, Alexi. The early part, we were just trying to pace ourselves. But no, big fortnight. We love it. And uh, I'm sure there'll be some great storylines that'll develop. Thanks, BP. Pleasure. Brett Phillips from the Australian Open. He, what he doesn't know about tennis, not worth writing, is it?
No, correct. He knows everything. And so what I took from that, Bonds, a lot of things. Uh, but one thing I did take is Holger Rune, as he said, the 19-year-old from Denmark, yes. is the player that I'll be looking out for in this tournament and coming tournaments. Loves tennis. He's only 19. He's number nine seeded in this tournament. Uh, he's going to be one to watch with potentially the big seeds either pulling out or losing early. I'm sort of wishing I picked up a tennis racket when I was younger. <laughs> $158,000. For winning one game at the Australian Open. 100000 for, for not winning. It. Yes, for not winning. So it, it just shows if you can get into the tournament, you're you're at way. And as he said, if you can get into that top 250, you play for the qualifiers, it gives you a chance to make these Grand Slams, which are worth a lot of money. If you missed any of the show or you want to catch up on uh, earlier episodes of the summer edition of Sports Day SA, you can uh, catch us up on the podcast. Wherever your podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, just search for Sports ASA and we'll be right there and you can listen back. And uh, if you missed all of that interview or just part of the interview with Brett Phillips, you can uh, that'll be on there tonight as well. So, Dan, it's been another big show. Um, thanks for your company once again. No, it has been. I'm uh, going to head home and uh, catch a little bit of the tennis uh, tonight. So, as BP said, hopefully not till 2 a.m. It doesn't go to tonight. But uh, Mevedev tonight against John Millman, the Australian. So, that'll be good, good viewing. Yeah, let's uh, tune into that for sure. All right, thanks for your company, and we'll see you again tomorrow on the summer edition of Sports ASA. A pinnacle of engineering, Kia EV6 GT, the most powerful Kia ever crafted. Right across South Australia. This is Sports Day. Every day on Cruise, we play a lot of classic hits. And to make sure they're good, we've got the online music panel. Every song, every 10 in a row.